Once your baby starts to walk, you'll realize why cribs are designed like prisons from the early 1900s. This is clearly because toddlers are a danger to themselves. The main responsibility for a parent of a toddler is to stop them from accidentally hurting or killing themselves. They're super clumsy, and if you don't believe me, just watch a two-year-old girl attempt to walk upstairs in a long dress. It looks like a Carol Burnett sketch. Man, that Jim Gaffigan, he knows how to make a parent feel seen. If you're a toddler parent or if you've experienced raising a toddler yourself, you know what he's talking about. I am personally in my third round of the toddler years, and I am praying they are my last. But kids are great, right? Recently, my family and I, we took a trip to Brown County, Indiana. It was great seeing the best that Indiana had to offer. We fished, we spent time on the lake, we played basketball, we ate fudge. It was wonderful. But one day, we made it out to the Brown County State Park to do some hiking. Has anyone hiked with an 18-month-old? Yeah, not, not many of you. you. You all are a lot smarter than me, let me tell you. So here we are all nine of us on this well-marked trail that was about a half mile trek no biggie but eva she's going through an independent stage where she thinks she can handle everything and nothing bad can happen to her which is so fun for a parent so eva and i were bringing up the rear on this well-marked narrow trail until the terrain started to get a little rougher with tree roots marking our path making it more challenging for the adults and it wasn't going so great for our toddler. Now, I can already tell that Eva's going to be a creative problem solver because she just tried to take matters into her own hands, many times by veering off the marked path. Now, God knows what was lurking off the beaten path. So I did my duty as a parent and I got in her way and corrected her direction on the path. You would think she'd be grateful. Spoiler alert, she wasn't. Every moment of correction and redirection was met with her cry of disapproval and rebellion to continue pushing the boundaries. This struggle continued until finally she started to run up one side of the path and then fell backwards into the mud, causing this uncontrollable floodgate to burst open. Sister was done. Now I share this with you as we begin our new series, Stranger Things of the Bible, because we will be taking a look at some unique stories in the Old Testament that we believe have significant impact to the biblical narrative. You see, all of us are living a story and all of our stories have significant impact. Do you know why? It's because God is writing them. Each of our stories were not put there by accident, even the stranger silly ones that don't seem to make sense. In fact, I believe that the strange or the crazy stories we live or read or hear about display the glory of God because it reveals the nature of his character and reminds us of his goodness. Now, this hiking story and our Bible story today reminds me that in life sometimes God gets in the way so he can show us the way. So today, we're gonna to take a look at a quirky little story found in everyone's favorite book of the Bible, the book of Numbers. Now, before you turn out on me, I need to remind you that the biblical narrative that we read is 
beautiful. I'm in a season right now where God is teaching me what it means to read his words slowly, to understand the context and the beauty of the words he has inspired. So today as we open up the word of God together and read these words, I challenge you to take a moment and read through it slowly. Soak it in, soak in the living word of God. Now in the book of Numbers, chapter 22, we come across a peculiar story about a man named Balaam and his talking donkey. A little backstory to set this up. The Israelites are in the midst of their exodus and it's become quite apparent to the surrounding kingdoms that their God favors Israel and is quite powerful. Balak, the king of Moab, catches wind of this and he's terrified over the presence of this mass of people and what they could do to him and his people. Balak is afraid and because of his fear, he decides that he needs to take action to protect himself and his kingdom by summoning someone to pronounce a terrible curse on the people of Israel. The man is desperate and acts impulsively by reaching out to a man named Balaam. Now, it's not really clear whether Balaam is a prophet, but the very fact that Balaam was the person Balak contacted tells us that he was a well-known spiritual diviner or sorcerer at the time. Balak sends him a rather large divination fee with the request to curse the nation of Israel, to which Balaam turns down when he's presented with such an offer. The messengers, they return to Balak and inform him of Balaam's decision. And Balak wasn't going to take no for an answer, so he sent his messengers back to Balaam with a divination fee that was twice as much as before. That's where we're going to dive in and read Balaam's response here in Numbers chapter 22, starting in verse 18. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. Now I want to pause here for a minute, and I want you to soak in how powerful this statement is, because in this moment, Balaam is anchored. He says he is powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord. Balaam's statement reveals he's anchored to the word of God, which is giving us a first impression of his character because I believe that what you're anchored to is revealed through your actions. So let me ask you, what are you anchored to? Are you anchored to your circumstances? Are you anchored to relationships? How about this one? Are you anchored to safety? Are you anchored to your abilities? Are you anchored to the idea of prosperity or climbing the corporate ladder? What are you anchored to? King Balak was anchored to his prosperity and the greatness of his kingdom. And the moment he felt like he was threatened, he reacted in fear, soliciting a spirit diviner to do his dirty work to take care of the problem. Your actions reveal your anchor. Balaam in this moment knows what the king is asking, and he knows going toe-to-toe -to -toe with God was a non-starter. While he was not a prophet of God, Balaam knew who he was dealing with. It had to take some serious guts to stand before the king's men and tell them twice that Balak's request could not be done. He was anchored to God's word. So who or what are you really anchored to? And I really want you to sit with this question 
And if an answer doesn't reveal itself right away, let me help you out by asking this. What are you most afraid of? What keeps you up at night? What, what are you passionate about? What topics get you riled up in spirit? What makes you cry? What causes anxiety? And when these ideas are brought to mind, I want you to ask yourself, why is that? Because when we read our Bible, the Word of God gets into our spirit and it transforms us because we're reminded of the promises of God, which gives us a firm foundation to stand on when life comes at us. Let me give you a mental picture. My family and I, we like to vacation at the beach. We would go swimming in the ocean each morning. We'd go body surfing and we would just get tossed around by the waves. When the tide was just right, you could swim out a few feet from shore to the sandbar where the water goes from neck deep to ankle deep, giving you a firm place to stand and steady yourself so you could wait for the perfect wave to ride in on. Similarly, when we immerse ourselves in God's word, we are constantly reminded of God's goodness and his promises so that when life comes at us or gets confusing, we have a firm place to stand because of our confidence in God's abilities, not our own. Our confidence is not anchored in our circumstances or the people around us. Our confidence must be anchored in the word of God so that we can have a firm place to stand. And in this moment, Balaam's response to Balak's request reveals what he is anchored to. As we read further in the text, we are reminded of the complexity of the human character. As we established earlier, Balaam is under a bit of pressure to fulfill the king's request. The king's payment is enticing. So instead of sending Balak's kingsmen away, he invites them to stay another night so he can converse with the Lord about whether or not he should go with them. To which we read in verse 20, God's reply. That night God came to Balaam and told him, Since these men have come for you, get up and go with them, but do only what I tell you to do. Remember, this is the second time Balak's men had come to persuade Balaam through a large fee to curse the Israelites. Now Balaam's probably thinking in this moment that this is his big break. The riches being offered to him could lead to success and prosperity and make a name for himself. He's becoming untethered from his anchor through the temptation of greed. The very fact, based on Jewish tradition, that Balaam desired to go with these men indicated that he was eager to curse Israel in order to make some cash for himself. This is the unspoken narrative that's occurring here. So it's not the fact that he's going with the king's men, but it's Balaam's attitude in which he goes that is the problem, which sets the table for what happens next in verse 21. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. 
The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. And then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. So here's Balaam having a full on toddler temper tantrum and taking his anger out on his ride. Talk about road rage. Can you imagine this scene? Balaam is so blinded by his posture of heart that he is blind to see how far out of line he is with God that he doesn't recognize the warning signs given by this donkey. Remember our big idea today. God gets in the way so he can show us the way. And then all of a sudden, God opened the mouth of the donkey, allowing him to speak so that Balaam would just shut up and listen. Can I remind you before we move on that the Spirit of God has no boundaries? God is speaking all the time. Are you listening? This scenario of using a donkey to communicate with Balaam should reveal to us that God can use anyone and anything to be a spokesman. And I mean, I can't say how I would react if my pet started talking to me out of nowhere, but I'm not sure I would respond how Balaam did in verse 29. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. Yikes, that escalated quickly. Balaam is enraged instead of seeing the miracle in front of him. And blinded by his rage, Balaam threatens to kill the donkey who is ironically trying to save him. Now the donkey responds in verse 30, But I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? Now this gets interesting because the donkey isn't only speaking, as if that isn't miracle enough, the donkey is logically reasoning with Balaam, confronting him in regards to his actions. This scene reminds me of the verse in 1 Corinthians 1.27. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And it's in this moment that I think Balaam begins to feel shame brought on by his actions. I can just picture him pouting, kicking the dirt, hanging his head in shame, at the donkey's questioning that the only response he can muster is a, no. I mean, this is the very essence of what it feels like to come down from that adrenaline rush of overwhelming emotions after an epic temper tantrum, like a toddler on a hiking trip. Balaam is the most respected diviner in the ancient world. And in this moment, he's revealed to be dumber than a donkey. I mean, does anybody else find encouragement in the moment of humility? So let's finish the story with verse 31. 
And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times? The angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would have certainly killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you're against my going. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, Go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. Can I suggest to you that all of us in here can be like Balaam? That we get so focused on what we want or place our anchor where it shouldn't be. And when disruptions come our way, we can get so frustrated that we don't realize what's really getting in our way. It's God. Remember the big idea. God gets in our way so he can show us the way. God loves us so much that he will get in our way and reroute us in order to become who we were created to be. Our journey is not about the end goal or where we're going. It's about who we are becoming. When I started my career in radio broadcasting, I was willing to do whatever it took to get my foot in the door. I started out as a front desk assistant, which ended up feeling like an endless career purgatory that I lived every weekday. It wasn't great. My posture of heart started to become resentful and jaded. One day, specifically around the holidays, the office was prepping to close. It was a busy time because radio listeners were hurrying to come pick up their prizes, especially the time-sensitive ones, before the extended holiday closing. I was antsy that day because I discovered that most of the office had gone home early, even my direct bosses and the business department leaving me behind. That struck a nerve with me because I felt like I had been unfairly treated and anger, it festered in my heart. While this was going on, the phone rang and I answered it. It was a listener who was attempting to come from just over an hour away to pick up his prize and he wanted directions. So this was 2009, so GPS on phones, it wasn't widely used yet, so he was eager for verbal directions. So I read it to him and informed him that the office would be closing at 5.30 p.m. After that, we would be closed for the holiday. He said okay and hung up the phone. 30 minutes later, the phone rings again. Same listener, and he is on the complete other side of town at this point. He's completely lost. And he started accusing me of bad directions, to which I responded with a recap of where he had been. He made a wrong turn. And without apologizing, he asked for the directions again from where he was. And I gave them to him with a friendly reminder that in less than an hour, the office would be closing for the holiday weekend. No problem, I'll be there, he said, and he hung up. 30 minutes later, the phone rings again, and I recognize the number. This time, he's stuck in holiday traffic, and he says he's about 30 minutes away. He has the audacity to ask me to wait on him till he gets there. 
So I let him have it. Right there in the lobby of an empty radio station, I unloaded all that anger that had been festering in my heart all day. And in the midst of that, I said I would not wait for him. The office closes at 5.30 p.m. And if he's not here, he'd miss out on his prize. Click. It wasn't my proudest moment, um, but I was upset and frustrated over the direction of my career. My anchor proved to be incorrectly placed. So I started packing my things as I watched the minutes tick by to 5.30 p.m. It was time to leave, and the listener never showed up. I locked up the office, got on the elevator to the main lobby of the building, and the minute I stepped off the elevator, I saw him running up to the building with a little girl, no more than five years old, running behind him. I saw him beg the building janitor to let him in, to which he obliged, allowing him to speedily run toward the elevator. We made eye contact, crud, and he asked me if the radio station is still open, not knowing I was the one he had been talking to the whole time. So I played it off like I was just another employee that didn't necessarily work at the front desk. I said, yeah, the office had just closed for the evening. I'm sorry, you're out of luck. The man started cursing in the front lobby in front of his daughter, and she just stood there in silence as if he had done this before. And in this moment, time stood still as this man continued his temper tantrum, and I felt the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit tell me to help this man for this little girl's sake. I wish I could say I responded gently in my demeanor, but instead I found my audible angry voice yell out, fine, I will help you, hurry up. So all three of us, we hopped on the elevator, we rode up the elevator shaft in awkward silence. I stormed off the elevator, unlocked the door, and I pretended to look for his prize as if I hadn't already set it aside with the other claimed prizes, and I handed it to him. Beaming, he looked me in the eye, and he said, thank you, ma'am. God's going to bless you for this, I swear. To which I just rolled my eyes as he and his daughter exited the building, leaving me behind. We're all guilty of this in one form or another. And when we anchor ourselves into things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of life, our focus becomes blurry on what really matters. How amazing is it, though, that we serve a God who chooses to engage with us, especially when our hearts are in the wrong place. Balaam, he wasn't a great prophet. And as we read the story in its entirety, he proves to be a man with ulterior motives that are against God's people. But God chooses to engage with him. I mean, from the very beginning, God could have been one and done after Adam and Eve sinned and broken God's perfect design. He could have crinkled up the paper, called it a rough draft, and started from a blank slate again. But he didn't. God chooses to engage. He's just waiting for the invitation. And when he doesn't get one, then he tries to get our attention by getting in the way so he could show us the way. I mean, God did that by sending his son Jesus down to earth. He lived among us. He ministered and healed among us. He died for us so that we could one day have the opportunity to be in relationship with him. And when we invite Jesus to be in relationship with us and we anchor ourselves to God's word by daily reading the Bible and we pray to stay connected to Christ, 
then we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to transform us from the inside out. we are not meant to journey through life on our own abilities, depending on things that are not secure. The only thing secure in this life is God and His promises. Now, I love the perspective Romans 8 verses 5 through 8 gives us, especially through the message translation. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing. And God isn't pleased at being ignored. God gets in the way so he can show us the way. And that way starts with where our anchor is planted. My challenge for you this week is to take some time to reflect on Balaam's story and ask yourself, who or what am I anchored to? Once you've determined that, then I want to encourage you to think about how God may be redirecting your path. Talk to him about it, and then listen for his response. When we anchor ourselves to love, rest in God's love, delight in him that he will guide us to what it truly means to build his eternal kingdom here on earth, as well as it is in heaven. Everything else is extra. Keep your eyes focused on him. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much that you are a God who chooses to engage with us even when we don't deserve it. Father, I thank you for who you are and for the promises that you instill in our hearts through your word. Thank you for giving us a confidence place to stand. God, I ask that you would just teach us to listen this week and to see open our eyes to how you are working all around us, God. Thank you for never giving up on us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.